The Southwest WA Drought Resilience Adoption and Innovation Hub acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. It pays its respects to the elders past and present and extends that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on the lands which the Southwest Drought Hub operates. Hello, I'm Julianne Hill, Hub Adoption Manager. This podcast series on dry season responses is brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub and funded through Future Drought Fund. In this series, we'll hear from growers and industry experts on managing dry season responses, ranging from early planning to tactical decision making as the season changes throughout the year and setting up for your following season. There's a glut of animals in the market for a range of reasons. We've got some pretty poor seasonal conditions in large parts of the wheat belt and in other parts of the wheat belt it's starting to get worse now. So there's a couple of things that are going on that's encouraging people to offload livestock. Welcome back to the Dry Season Responses podcast series. I'm Shannon Beatty and this is episode six, which does make it our final episode. I have been telling you that there would only be six episodes in total and I am true to my word. If you have listened to the episodes before this, if you've been following along, you'll know that while we've mentioned livestock a few times, the focus has well and truly been on cropping, but that is all about to change and this episode is focused entirely on livestock. So we're going to start with a bit of a market outlook and update covering both sheep and cattle with Dean Hubbard and Michael Longford from Elders. And then after that, we're going to round out this episode and the whole series by chatting with Ashley Herbert from Agrarian about management options and financial decisions for livestock. First up, though, is Dean Hubbard, who is the Elders at State Livestock and Wool Manager for WA. He does join me now. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, Dean. Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate the invite and um, hopefully we can share some insights together. Glad to have you here. Can you start off by telling us just a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah. Well, I started in the livestock industry in 1978, so it goes back some 45 years. So I'm guessing that's probably way before you were even born, Shannon. So 45 years, heavily focused around, more so around the sheep product and auctioneering, which a number of growers would probably know me from auctioneering at Mouche or Katanning or sales or stud sales or various. And then I've been the state livestock and wool manager for elders just over four years now. And prior to that, I was at Narrambeam was my last uh, posting with elders. I was there, Narrambeam Bruce Rock, for about 11 years. So, yeah heavily weighted towards the wheat belt at WA. That's been my postings over my career. So, yeah. Yes, Dean, I think you're one of those people in the uh, the livestock industry in WA that you'd be hard-pressed to find someone uh, in the state who doesn't know you or hasn't heard of you. So you've uh, you've definitely are well-qualified to be talking to us about the sheep market here in WA. Can we start off with the impact a season like 2023 has on sheep operations in WA farms? As far as impact... I think seasonally there's probably less of an impact than we're currently experiencing with the price ramifications and the market that we're currently experiencing, which I think for a lot of us we do foresee that markets go up and down, but I don't think any of us really 
foresaw what is actually occurring today to the level it is occurring with returns, current returns, and just the position we're in, be that sheep or cattle at the moment. And are there any particular areas in the state that are more affected by whether it's the season, by prices, whatever it might be? Are there particular areas in the state that are that are more affected at the moment? Oh, I think certainly when it comes to cropping, obviously our northern and eastern colleagues and people are obviously experiencing some variable seasons out there, but our, where the majority of our livestock, which is where I focus, the majority of our livestock and more so the sheep reside and cattle is in the southern areas, which haven't, you know, are experiencing reasonable season in the majority of cases in their southern regions, but it's where the heavy numbers of livestock are obviously concentrated. So that's one blessing, I guess, is that given current prices, a lot of our growers do have the option or the decision-making ability to still make decisions based on their turnoff not being dictated so much by the seasonal turnoff, more so as a price turnoff. So I think, you know, we are lucky in that respect that a majority of our big numbers are heavily concentrated in the better feed areas. You've mentioned it a couple of times. It has been all throughout the news, uh, the rural media at the moment. Let's talk pricing. How is the sheep market at the moment? Under considerable duress at the moment, I think more so, I'll talk more about the sheep, but I think everybody doesn't need reminding about where we are with the sheep price at the moment and not to catastrophise anything, which I've probably seen enough of that in the media to last me a lifetime at the moment. But sheep-wise, our prime lamb turn-off is pretty well in full swing at the moment and we are probably battling a little bit with weight. That's the feedback that I have. So we do expect some holes to appear in in and around now moving forward through to December, you know, where our processes do require certain weight parameters for our clients to deliver into. The feedback from our network is that we are starting to just struggle a little bit to get big numbers in those weight ranges. So there's going to be some holes in our processing and that probably also provides a couple of positives in the fact that to get to weight, people will need either stubbles to finish on or grain to finish on. Now, whether there is a large appetite for our growers to finish on grain or stubbles yet remains to be seen. Our processes have been a little bit reticent to come out with forward pricing given the impression of the amount of numbers that are currently available just on grass and the necessity to forward price hasn't been there. But I think as grain prices have increased and the pressures on weight to be supplied, I think our processes now are realising that they will need to publish some pricing to give our growers the options to feed if they want to and have some known outcomes. But it also does provide, once we get that forward pricing, which there is a little bit out there now, once we've got that, it gives then returns the ability for our clients on the bottom end to trade in that lighter end of the crossbred land market, which is where we're really probably the, the heavy numbers are concentrated at the moment and the availability of those lambs that are below 40 kilos for, as stores. We have solid demand for from store buyers above 40 kilos, but it's where it's below. So we need people to recommence trading and backgrounding on those. So there are some opportunities as well, Shannon. Then you said that, and as we know, that the market is is under stress, under duress, I think is the word that you used. Can you tell us 
any of the factors that are causing that? Is it just the season or are there other factors at play? No, there's certainly other factors at play. I mean, the season certainly, you know, on the whole is probably not the biggest issue here. I'll simplify it is the, our annual turnoff in WA is about five, five and a half million sheep and lamb. That's what we turn off annually. We have for the last few years. That's And then processing-wise, we have around seven processors that operate on sheep and lamb. They, round figures, process about 2.5 to 2.7 or 8 million lambs a year. They process just up and down about 1 to 1.2 or 3 million mutton. So that leaves a gap in the turnoff of around 1.5 to 2 million sheep, which we've, until the last few years, had a very robust live export sheep industry that has taken 1.5 to 2 million sheep out of WA. And then of recent times, we've had a very strong Eastern States inquiry, which has certainly taken up a lot of the slack that's been caused by the somewhat over-regulation of the live export industry and see numbers decline in live exports. So that's been the biggest factor is the fact that we've had a perfect storm with regards live exports back to way, albeit there are positive signs at the moment in that live export sheep space. But also at the same time, as it back to way, we've had the eastern states drop off. So all of a sudden, we've run into an oversupply situation, which is what we're currently working our way through. But also given that, we've got live exporters, sheep live exporters in WA at the moment ramping up. And given the prices we're currently experiencing, it's pretty attractive if you're a live exporter to ramp up the supply to their customers. So that that's a positive for us is that the live export sheep trade is ramping up, numbers are increasing. Our processes have also increased or had the ability to increase, albeit they've had a difficult time selling as well. But if you look at the numbers, we're around 15 to 20% up on current processing WA. I don't expect our recent states colleagues to jump back in anytime soon, given they're experiencing probably experiencing worse price points than we are at the moment. Uh, but I think, yeah, there are some positives, Shannon, I think, and live export at the moment is a bit of a shining light for us, which we need <laughs> desperately to continue to keep shining. I appreciate you are finishing on a positive note there, Dean. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. And now we're going to switch over and chat to your colleague, Michael, about cattle. Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate your time as well. Thank you. All right. We have heard all about sheep. Let's move on to cattle. I'm joined by Elders Commercial Cattle Manager for WA, Michael Longford. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. Thanks for um, having me on today. Let's start off with a little bit of an intro to yourself, a bit of background. Tell me why people should listen to you. <laughs> yeah, good question. Shannon, I'm the commercial cattle manager for WA and have been with Elders uh, for the past uh, 15 years. I also did a couple of years buying for one of the supermarkets in WA and I get all over WA from up the north uh, right through the east down to the Great Southern along the west coast. So. I catch up with a lot of people, a lot of our agents, and also speak to a lot of the processes, etc. So hopefully I'll be able to fill you in on a bit of information. It sounds like you are definitely qualified to be talking to us about cattle and about the cattle market. Can you tell me how farmers with cattle operations have been impacted by this drier season? Yeah, thanks, Shannon. So up, up in the north, uh, the Pilbara uh, and the Gascoigne up there, the, the season up there, has been pretty good in areas and, and very dry in other areas. It just depends on where the rain has fallen through those areas. And as you come down to the, the southern rangelands, from basically from the Murchison 
uh, right through to Mount Magnet, Southern Cross, Leonora and Sandstone. It's sort of been a bit patchy through there. So around that southern rangelands area in the Murchison, they've had a pretty good season through there. The cattle coming out of those areas have been very reasonable and they've been suited to like the abattoir markets. Some have gone to the feedlots, some have gone to export and the others sort of been tailed off into into Mewshay. Then you sort of move out of sort of that southern rangelands areas and you go out to that Mount Magnet sandstone area like I've mentioned before and the season out there has been totally different. It's been incredibly dry through there so they've had really harsh a harsh season and very challenging for them out through that way as you come down further down to Geraldton and further down along the coast there uh, the season there is very 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 much the same if you're in if you cop the rain where well, you're doing really well the crops and your pastures are going reasonable or pretty good but it's been very hard on the livestock through that area as well because it's been so dry and it's been a few challenges in the farmers trying to keep their cattle up to good condition and and moving forward once you get down through past Perth and right around the west coast right down to the bottom around past Bunbury and Margaret River and down to Albany the season down there has also been very similar better areas have looked really good and if you drive through those areas you'll you'll think there's a lot of feed around but there is not a lot of feed as normal a lot of the areas have dried off a little bit earlier the hay hasn't been there this year so a lot of farmers are down 20 to 50 percent on their hay crop hay bales this year which is which is proving a bit of a challenge going forward so therefore people in those areas have started to load all their cattle out and in one hit and put them into the sales which is actually made uh, very tough going forward for everybody because all the sales are being pretty well jammed up and that's also reflecting on probably what's happening with the the prices a bit at the moment when you get around past Albany, around to Estrance, the areas through there, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing again. There, if, you, if you're in the rain area, you, you're going okay. If you're not, it's identi- basically identical to what's been happening along the west coast there. Feed's tight. They want to get rid of stock, even though the stock's in good conditions. And the way we are at the moment with the cattle and the abattoirs, everything's uh, jammed up And uh, at this stage. And hopefully as we get into the new year and, and around that March, April time, hopefully things will ease up and then uh, things will hopefully move along quite smoothly. I appreciate the uh, very comprehensive outlook. It's good to know, I guess, where different areas have been affected, how different areas have been affected and, and how it varies across the state. Overall, how is the market looking for cattle? What are the prices doing? What are we seeing uh, the prices at the moment, as most of the livestock producers will know, uh, listening to the podcast is basically not not really good. The prices have come back a fair fair way. There's we start up with the uh, weaner sales this coming week, this coming Wednesday, so tomorrow, down at Boyne up, and this is when the majority of our cattle start to come in from November through to next January. At the moment, the way everything's going and, and the feedlot are sort of uh, buying cattle from here on, they probably haven't been as active as normal in the industry at the moment. So a lot of feedlotters in previous years have gone out and bought a lot of cattle in early and got a fair few cattle around them, where at the moment what they're doing is they're only buying so many cattle in or, or buying cattle in to fill orders and then waiting for another order to come out if they've got contracted orders and uh, then they'll go and buy again. Now, with all this happening as well, the way the season's going and the calves around at the moment, they're probably a bit lighter than they have been on previous years due to the season. And we're getting a lot of lighter cattle into the mar- into the sales or, or being marketed. A lot of people want to get rid of them pretty early, so they're actually putting them onto the market, they're putting the whole lot onto the market. 
and that those lighter cattle are the ones that are sort of taking more reduction in price because the feedlotters really want them that 330, 340 kilos and above so that they can actually put them straight into their feedlot. Any of the lighter cattle on previous years, they've been able to feed them or background them with a bit of grain and keep them going forward. But the way the grain prices are for a mix this year, they've decided, well, they can't afford to do that. So they've really got to buy cattle which are ready to go onto their feedlots. With all of that in mind, do you have any advice for people who are thinking of selling cattle over the next couple of months? Yeah, so you're good on the questions there, Shannon. Yeah, so my advice at the moment would be, I know it's everyone's short of feed. I know people are short of hay, as we've discussed. My advice would be that I wouldn't put your whole herd onto the, your whole, or your new wiener crop straight onto the market to try and sell it. It's going to flood everything. I'll be taking the heavier type calves out and marketing them first and selling them out and then trying to get a bit more weight into those lighter calves. And I know it's going to be a tough season, but... That would be my view and that way you spread your risk out a bit more rather than just having a whole massive lot of weanage dumped on the market. When that happens, as we know, it just sort of brings the price back because there's an oversupply and then what that'll do for the following year, next year, once we start getting into that March, April and all the cattle are gone, well, everyone will be crying out for cattle again. So I just think they need to try and space it out the best they can and utilise what they've got on their farms to do that. Any other comments, anything else you'd like to add, Michael, that we haven't covered that you think our farmers here in WA should be aware of? Uh, look, I, I just think all, all the farmers out there at the moment are under a lot of stress. All the agents uh, which are dealing with all the farmers, you know, they're on a lot of stress because they want to move the cattle as well, you know, try and help everybody out. And we're in a stage where there's a lot of pressure going on everybody. I just feel that, yeah, we've all got to work together and, and we've also got to keep the quality of our cattle going into different markets and, and to specific grids to up to what they're, they're still chasing and not try to put cattle in, which are definitely under the grids or, or the qualities down. Yeah, I just think everyone, uh, we just have to wear this out. This definitely will change. So I just think, yeah, we just got to work together as an industry and, and battle through these times until the other end comes out, hopefully in the new year. Taking a uh, team approach, I think, is always a really good, just little piece of advice that no one's in this alone and we are, as an industry, going to get through this. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Shannon. Yeah, anytime. Happy to help out. So far in this livestock episode, we've heard from Dean Hubbard and Michael Longford for a market update on the sheep and cattle industries respectively. But to round out this episode, I'm joined by Ashley Herbert from Agrarian to talk about management options and financial decisions. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Ashley. Hello, Shannon. Uh, It's always a pleasure. Let's start off with a bit of an introduction to yourself. What can you uh, tell us about you? Uh, Shannon, I've been a uh, farm consultant in the Great Southern since the early 90s. Mixed farming is my sort of forte, I suppose. My clients are predominantly mixed mixed farming and they predominantly have merino sheep. And I guess one of my sort of specialities is, I guess, is just looking at the farm system with an emphasis on the livestock side of it from a technical point of view, but also strategic. And I also do a fair bit of analysis on what makes the money, how it works, just so I can help clients make better decisions. Because I I strongly believe if we have good information based on objective analysis, we've we've got an excellent chance of making good decisions. 
That's why we've got you here to help us make those good decisions. After a season like this, and especially given some of the pricing info that we've discussed with Dean and Michael, growers are are probably going to need or might need to consider offloading sheep and cattle. But what are their options? Uh, Well, look, I think think it's useful to sort of understand why we're in this sort of situation. And I guess it's a multi-level problem in that there's a glut of animals in the market for a range of reasons. And we've got some pretty poor seasonal conditions in large parts of the wheat belt and in other parts of the wheat belt, it's starting to get worse now. So there's a couple of things that are going on that's encouraging people to offload livestock. And one of them is the just the poor outlook for the spring and the inability to carry livestock through the summer. And I guess on top of that, the prospects of prices improving in the near term are you know, essentially diminishing. So I guess that's feeding back on itself, which is encouraging people to think about selling more animals because the outlook is so poor. They're thinking, well, I don't want to carry them longer than I have to. And then on the other side, you normally have this group of farmers that would buy livestock to put on their stubbles after harvest to take advantage of this normal sell-off. But because of seasonal conditions and the outlook for prices, they're saying, well, we're not going to get involved in this. There's too much risk and the prospect of making a decent amount of money is probably quite limited. So there's quite a large segment of normal demand that's just not there anymore. So the only real demand for livestock is predominantly through the processing sector. So that's what's driving it. And I think, look, the first thing I sort of think people need to consider is, first of all, be very clear what numbers of animals they have and what are their ages and classes, just so they're very clear about the energy demand on their farm. And then I think what's helpful is to try and form some opinion as to what's the carrying capacity of the property from now on through the summer using what's left of pastures and stubbles post-harvest. Because I think when we're in some sort of crisis management, it really helps having as much information at your fingertips as to what's possible. And then you need to create some dates as to say, well, when would I like my animals to go? And then it, and you need some judgment as to, What's the deadline? When do I really need to get animals off my paddock? Now, you might not have to sell them, but the question around is when do I need to start taking animals out of out of my paddocks to save them from erosion and uh, that sort of thing? So I guess a little bit later we can talk about confinement feeding and that sort of thing if the animals are still on the farm. But I guess it's really at the moment, it's just a question of what sale opportunities are available versus when do you have to make that decision that animals need to move? And at the moment, there's quite a delay between wanting to sell animals for a a reasonable price and actually getting them into the market. And that's just where we're at. So I think when we're in situations like this, it's just essential, particularly with livestock, we need to have a plan that's well thought through that we can follow. And it just creates decision points, I guess. So, So we're not caught in a situation where our options are extremely limited and they're both bad. Not an ideal scenario for anyone to find themselves in. I'm pretty sure the answer to this question is going to be yes, but talking about those options, do they differ for pastoralists versus farmers who also have cropping programs and how? Uh, well, look, it, it essentially comes back to carrying capacity. Now, people that have quite a bit of stubble in relation to pasture, they generally have much greater summer carrying capacity than, say, someone who's 100% pasture. And 
one thing about pasture systems, it's the summer carrying capacity that's that's a real limitation on their carrying numbers through winter because they run out of drive paddock feed quite quickly through the summer. Whereas when you've got a farm that has a relatively small area of pasture to a large area of stubble, their carrying capacity options are quite different and they're the ones those systems are the ones where people can quite comfortably carry sheep normally through summer. Now, one thing to remember this year, even though the crop yields might be low, because we've had such a dry finish, generally when we have these dry springs, hot dry finishes, the feed quality in the pastures and the residue of of the spring pastures is generally quite high. So in my experience, even though there's a lot less of it, the animals, the sheep particularly, tend to do better in these dry springs than they might do in a normal spring, simply because the feed quality is higher. So I think, look, at the end of the day, the consideration always is, is how long can I carry livestock for before I start to put my paddocks at risk, particularly from erosion? The latest Deep Herd Climate Outlook is telling us that the rest of the year is going to be dry and warm. We've also got a positive Indian Ocean diapole occurring with an El Nino, which normally means warmer, drier conditions across most of the country. Ultimately, what I'm going to say there is that we're heading into a dry summer. How does that impact pastures and livestock decisions as a result? Yes, well, look, one good thing about it not raining early in summer is that it will maintain the quality of what pasture there is left and it will maintain the stubble quality as well. So that's a plus for a dry part of summer. However, obviously, once we get through January into February when the stubbles, particularly where the crops weren't heavily compromised by the dry conditions, we start to run out of ground cover and that that's when I guess the decision point needs to be made as to when do I take animals off the paddocks to preserve, to to avoid erosion basically. So no rain is a good thing to a point and if we do get rain, what really helps is if it's a lot of rain that creates a lot of germination, particularly on stubbles, that we get some useful green feed and and that sort of thing. But look, at the the end of the day, whether it rains or not, what the forecast says is sort of immaterial to the point because we just can't predict the future. It's just important that we sit down and have a – a reasonably well thought out feed budget and a management plan for our livestock because the earlier we make those plans, the more options we have at our disposal. Now, in a situation like this where it's physically difficult to sell livestock and buying in supplementary feed, lupins, barley, everything's expensive at the moment. So I'm not for a minute saying it's easy, but working to a plan is a lot less stressful than just flying by the seat of your pants, particularly when you're sitting on large numbers of livestock. You talked about making a plan. Sounds like a good idea to me. Let's say we were going to write a pro-con list of keeping versus offloading livestock. It seems like a really hard decision to make. How do growers actually go about it? How do they make that decision? Okay, well, the first thing is to try and form a view as to what's the maximum number of sheep that you're prepared to carry through summer, and that gives you the end point. And then I guess it's looking at which animals have probably got least future value. You know, for example, these might be the old cast for age ewes. They're going to be cast for age ewes today, and in three or four months' time, they'll still be cast for age ewes. Whereas, for example, a young weather lamb, at the minute, they're not worth a great deal today, but this time next year, that they could be worth, you know, a lot more. At risk of being wrong, it's quite conceivable they could be back up to 50 or $60, $70, just depending on the domestic market. So they have a lot of potential value to gain 
given that their current value is not worth much. So it's about just working out, I think, in your own mind where the value is. And then the second question is what you can physically move. Now, for example, young blue tag weathers that were dropped in July, I'm not sure there's a great market for them. So you might want to sell them, but the reality is you probably won't be able to. You probably couldn't even give them away. You know, So obviously, if you want to sell them, that's hindered by the fact there's not a market. So then it's a case of, okay, what can I sell? Well, there's probably a market for older ewes that are in reasonable condition in, into the mutton trade. And so it's just a matter of working out be, between yourself and the agent what you'd like to sell, what you need to sell, and what you can sell, and just working through the priority like that. Now, look, at the end of the day, it's not easy because everything's hard to move. There's no question about that. It sounds like it's definitely a kind of a weighing game of what you might want to offload versus what the market's actually going to take, which is definitely something the growers are going to need to take into consideration. We did mention confinement feeding earlier. So let's just say we're choosing to keep livestock in the program, but we need to get them off the paddock due to that erosion risk. What do we do? Uh, yeah, well, look, an option, and it's used quite widely as a tactical management tool to get through a difficult sort of start to the season, or pe- quite a few people use it routinely to manage livestock o- over the break, and effectively it just allows people to defer pastures, and, and the whole aim of it in that context is really to grow more winter feed so they can run more sheep, so to increase their stocking rate. But as a, it's also very useful as a tool to try and mitigate any soil erosion risk, and basically what confinement feeding is, it's just a very simple form of feedlotting. So you're basically taking animals out of the paddock, you're putting them into a much, much smaller paddock, and you're essentially feeding them pretty much 100% of their daily requirements with grain, hay, straw, or a combination of all those. So the design of it can be very, very crude. It can just just be a five-hectare paddock, or some people have built reasonably sophisticated feedlot-style facilities that allows them to feed into troughs and um, things like that. So, but, you know, I see plenty of confinement feeding facilities that are just basically big, small paddocks with access to plenty of water, and they're all put in one place. Now, one of the advantages of confinement feeding is that you do save something like one and a half megajoules of energy per day for each animal. Now, when we're feeding animals, particularly when we're in situations where we're feeding them a high proportion of what they need to eat, it's really all about energy and the cost of energy that we can feed them on a daily basis. And one and a half megajoules is equivalent to just over 100 grams of lupins. And in today's money, that's quite significant. So one of the attributes of confinement feeding is that it stops the animals walking around and wasting energy just doing that exactly. So there is a there is a real efficiency saving. And the other saving is, is that you've got them all in one place and feeding instead of taking a whole week to feed every animal, you, you can do it in a day, for example. I feel like always having some, you know, solid statistics or figures to, to back up this advice is is really useful. We've covered off on uh, a fair bit of information in terms of management options so far. How does all of this actually impact financials though? How does it impact the bottom line? How does it impact the farm balance sheet? Oh, look, in these dry summers and springs where you go into summer and spring with, with very low levels of dry matter, I guess part of the value of doing a plan is that you're mentally prepared what you need to do. So I think Certainly in my experience, if expectations are set right, people can mentally adjust to what needs to happen and it doesn't change what you need to do. What it does change is how people cope with what they need to do. And I guess 
being planned just helps take a lot of the stress from the situation. It helps keep people in, in control. And look, at the end of the day, it is going to cost a significant amount of money to carry animals through summer. That's just a fact. It will be an advantage to individuals to try and quantify that as much as they can so they can determine what financial resources they have, how much feed they physically need, and can they get it, where can they get it from? Because I guess in past years like this, one thing we do know is the cost of feed increases after harvest and it can get particularly more expensive. So making decisions during harvest when feed's potentially at its cheapest can save a lot of money, but it also gives people the confidence they've got what they need and it gives them the time they need to do to look after their livestock. Ashley, is there anything else that you would like to add that we haven't covered, that I haven't asked? I think it's just really important that there's plenty of people out, out in the industry that are qualified to help people make these decisions and develop the plans and give them the technical advice they need. And I would just I would just strongly recommend to people that they at all stages seek advice because once again, that helps the plan be quite real and it, it helps give them confidence that they're on the right track. And it can also help them make better decisions because an independent person could ask a different question and that leads to a to a better decision. So I think getting through these sort of periods of crisis, it's, it's about making good decisions, it's about action, and it's about being on time. I've seen in the past where people find the situation can be a little bit overwhelming and one of their coping strategies is just to let it slide and hope things will change. But the unfortunate outcome of that often is it gets to a point where you have to make a decision and all your options are bad. The earlier that you can make decisions, the more options you have at your disposal. They may not be all great options, but the benefit of doing it that way is that you stay in control of what's going on. And at the end of the day, that generally delivers the best result. You are not the first person to say that throughout the course of this podcast, Ashley. Uh, Being proactive is definitely a key piece of advice that we've received from a fair few of our guests. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure, Shannon. Everyone, that actually brings us to the end of the Dry Season Response podcast series. That was our final episode, a nice long one on livestock to uh, wrap up the series. I can't thank you enough for joining me on this podcast over the course of the last six episodes. I hope everyone listening has received and taken some valuable advice Uh, Even if it's just one key takeaway from any of the episodes, I really hope that it has helped in your planning, in your learning, and in your setting things up for the next season. As always, if you are looking for any more information, there is going to be no shortage of it about the place. And the Southwest WA Hub is always keen to share more of what they know with everyone. They've got so much information that can support growers in preparing for and responding to dry seasons like we've had. They do have their monthly hub newsletter, which I've been prattling on about for six episodes now. Uh, But it really is the best place to stay up to date with issues and information relating to the hub, relating to drought, relating to the future drought fund. So please go ahead, subscribe via the website at hub.gga.org.au under hub news. Thank you again for joining me on this series and I am signing off. You've just been listening to the Southwest WA Hub's limited dry season podcast series. 
For further support for decision making through this dry season, the Drought Hub website features a collection of resources for the livestock, grains and horticultural industries. You can find these resources under the resources tab on the Hub website at hub.org.au. This episode has been brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub, funded by the Future Drought Fund. If you or someone you know is in crisis, contact Lifeline on 13 11 14.